0: Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 6, Episode 30. When I wrapped up the last episode, the Philistines had just shot King Saul, who then fell on his sword. They also killed three of his sons, then hung their bodies on the walls of the city of Beth Shan. At that point, I covered the history of that city, leaving two other things mentioned in that passage for later, the city of Jabesh Gilead and tamarisk trees, but I feel like I'm getting behind, and we'll save those topics for when I get to the book of 1 Samuel, as I really need to make progress on the history of the Philistines, and with that, let's get started. Saul's death brings the book of 1 Samuel to a close, and the very next chapter, chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, does mention the Philistines but only in reference to how they rejoiced with Saul's death. We already knew this. Fast forward a couple of chapters when the house of Saul was struggling with David over who would rule Israel. At the same time, we're told that Israel is still engaged in their centuries-old struggle against the Philistines, but no real detail is given. Except that Abner tells the elders of Israel that David can save them. David does become king, defeats the Jebusites, and then makes Jerusalem the capital of the United Kingdom. Just after this, the Philistines attack. From the text. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up, meaning from the lowlands to the hill country in search of David. David, though, heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come up and spread out in the valley of the Rephaim. David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? The Lord said to David, Go up, for I certainly will give the Philistines into your hand. So David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. He said, The Lord has burst forth against my enemies before me like a bursting flood. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. But the Philistines weren't going to go away that easily. Once again, the Philistines came up and were spread out in the valley of the Rephaim. When David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up, go around to their rear, and come upon them opposite the balsam trees. When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees... Then be on the alert, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. David did just as God had commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines from Gaba all the way to Gezer. So, very early in his reign, he defeated the Philistines twice. Then, the text goes silent again, until chapter 8, when we're given a solitary sentence about them in their defeat at the hand of David. It reads, Sometime afterward, David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. David took Methagama out of the hand of the Philistines. As for this place, it was only mentioned in this single location in the whole of the Bible, in all three versions I use for this podcast. And there are other translations that that are so unsure what the phrase translates to that they actually leave it blank, filled only by ellipses, versions such as the New American Bible, Revised Edition. That's how unsure scholars are about this phrase in ancient Hebrew. There is the possibility that it's sourced from a Hebrew phrase that translates, roughly, to the bridge of the mother's city. This may mean it was on the way to a Philistine city, like Gath. The history of this passage in 1 Samuel is parallel to that found in 1 Chronicles 18, that reads, Sometime afterward, David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. He took Gath and its villages from the Philistines. So, maybe Methagamah is Gath, or one of its villages. If it were Gath, then it was one of the largest cities in Philistia. And, if David did capture this city, it would have held special importance to him, as this was where David fled when he was escaping Saul's wrath, a homecoming combined with a conquering. And there's something else. The text does not mention the Philistines again, until when Solomon was king, and this was only a passing reference, leading many scholars to believe that they were finally defeated or at least subdued for quite a time by David. Though, they did get a mention when David's son Absalom attempted a coup, but only as a historical reminder that David had freed the people from the Philistine menace. At least until 2 Samuel 21. In this chapter, we are reminded of what happened, likely a generation earlier, that the Philistines had killed King Saul and his sons, and hung their bodies on the wall of Beth-shan. All of this as a precursor to the Philistines attacking the Israelites. That's right. They're back. The text tells us, The Philistines went to war again with Israel, and David went down together with his servants. They fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. Ishbibonab, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed three hundred shekels of bronze, and who was fitted out with new weapons, said he would kill David. There's no mention what these new weapons were. But Abishai, son of Zerahiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall not go out with us to battle any longer, so that you do not quench the lamp of Israel. Apparently, a lot was riding on his life, and it seemed the country knew it. After this, a battle took place with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sabakeh, the Hushethite, killed Sif, who was another one of the descendants of the giants. Then there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob, where a Bethlehemite killed a different Goliath, the Gittite. The shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam, That seems familiar. Then there was another battle at Gath, where there was a man of great size, who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 digits total. He, too, was descended from the giants. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of David's brother, Shimei, killed him. These four were descended from the giants in Gath. They fell by the hands of David and his servants. That one paragraph is rich with things to cover later. So many, I'll spare you the repetition. Just know when I get to the books of Samuel, there will be many people, places, and things that'll get covered in as much depth as the outside record allows. Moving along. The text goes silent for about a chapter and a half. Then we're given a spattering of the Philistines, interspersed with tales of the men David led, once again from the text. First there was Eleazar, son of Dodo, son of Ahoi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. The Israelites withdrew, but he stood his ground. He struck down the Philistines until his arm grew weary, though his hand clung to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Then the people came back to him, but only to strip the dead. Also, there was Shammah, the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the army fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the middle of the plot, defended it, and killed the Philistines, and the Lord brought about another great victory. Towards the beginning of harvest, Three of the thirty chiefs went down to join David at the cave of Abdullah, while a band of Philistines were encamped in the valley of the Rephaim. David was in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. David said longingly, O that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three warriors broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and brought it to David. From this point, we see the battles between the Philistines and Israelites picked up again, in Lehi, in the valley of the Rephaim, in Bethlehem, and likely other places. And at all of these, David and his men defeated them. And that was the last mention of David battling the Philistines, at least in the books of Samuel. Of course, there's a mostly parallel version of the history found in First Chronicles, and I would normally skip the books of Kings to cover First Chronicles, but Chronicles doesn't add anything materially different from what was found in the Samuels. Having said that mouthful, on to the Philistines as found in the books of Kings, which gets me to King Solomon. First, in first Kings four. We're told that Solomon was sovereign over all of the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines, even to the border of Egypt. The same passage can be found in the parallel history of 2 Chronicles 9. This makes it sound like he either ruled over the Philistines, or the border of Israel was up against the Philistines. That part of the text is much less than clear. And that's it for the Philistines and King Solomon. Solomon in both 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. But, given that the arch and long-time enemies only merited this essentially singular mention, the assumption is that Israel ruled over them, thus the lack of battles, at least those large enough to warrant a mention in the biblical text. After Solomon, something must have changed, as in 1 Kings 15, Israelites were laying siege to a Philistine city, Gebethan. They get another mention in 2 Kings 8, where a woman is said to have settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years before returning to the Hebrews. This makes it sound like the Philistines were a separate country. Finally, in 2 Kings 18, we're told how King Hezekiah of Judah attacked the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to fortified city. Obviously, a separate nation at this point in the history. This situation seemed to exist until the Babylonians attacked, a battle that warranted a mention in Isaiah 14, where an oracle portends the destruction of Philistia, seemingly said to be coming from the north, probably a reference to the Neo-Assyrian Empire would conquer most of Canaan, including lands held by the Philistines. More detail is provided in Jeremiah 25, that Israel, along with the Philistines, would fall to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Specifically, at least in the case of Philistia, all the kings of the land of the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod, along with all of their neighbors, including Edom, Moab, Egypt, among many, many others. Jeremiah 47 also tells of their destruction. Finally, Ezekiel tells even more of their forthcoming destruction, where we're told, Thus says the Lord God, Because with unending hostilities the Philistines acted in vengeance, and with malice of heart took revenge in destruction, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines, cut off the Cherethites, and destroy the rest of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful punishments. They shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance on them. The seldom quoted Book of Amos has God telling the prophet that He will turn His hand against the remnant of the Philistines, among others. And the use of the word remnant is interesting. Apparently, by the time Amos was written, around 780 BC, the Philistines weren't nearly as powerful as they had been. There are other mentions in the Old Testament, from the Book of Psalms to the Deutrocanonical Books of Maccabees. But these tended to be either mentions of the former Philistine kingdoms, or allegorical references, sometimes both. By the time of Christ, they were gone, probably absorbed into the other kingdoms, and also possibly forgotten, as they merited no mentions in the New Testament. Actually, considering how many times they were mentioned in the historical books of the Old Testament, they couldn't have been forgotten. They were just never spoken of again. And that's all of their mentions, probably more than any other outside group after the Exodus playing the role of constant antagonist, and sometimes the ally of a future king. To say the relationship was complicated is an understatement, which finally gets me to their history in the outside record. Unfortunately, the outside record is a bit sparse concerning the Philistines, with most of what we know coming from the Hebrew of the Old Testament. We do know from the biblical text that they worshipped certain deities, including Baal, Ashtarde, and Dagon, all who were part of the larger Canaanite pantheon. We also know a little bit about their economy. Cities excavated in the area attributed to them give evidence of careful town planning, including industrial zones. The olive industry of Ekron alone includes about 200 olive oil presses. Modern industrial engineers estimate that the city's production may have been more than 1,000 tons of oil annually. To put that in context, that's about one third of the production of the modern country of Israel, which benefits from industrialization and modern agricultural techniques. There's also considerable evidence for a large industry in fermented drinks, meaning alcoholic beverages. Archaeological finds include breweries, wineries, and retail shops selling beer and wine. Add to this that beer steins and wine cups are among the most common pottery finds. So, the parts I've already covered about them will take up far more time than the rest of their history. What we do know is that they were an ancient people who lived on the south coast of Canaan from about the 12th century BC until 604 BC, when they were exiled to Mesopotamia by King Nebuchadnezzar II, just like many of the Old Testament prophets predicted. Fortunately, the outside record isn't completely silent, and the first mention in this record appears to be on relief images at the Temple of Ramses III at Medine-Habu. Ramses was of the 20th Dynasty, and therefore the New Kingdom. He reigned between 1186 and 1155 B.C. Do note that on the Reliefs, they are called the Peleshet. While this does seem different from the name Philistine, in ancient Hebrew, they were the Peleshet, literally one letter different when both are translated verbatim into English. There were other Egyptian inscriptions too, some as late as about 900 B.C., But this date tells us less about the Philistines and potentially more about Egypt's foreign exploits, as nearly all the references to people and places in Canaan ended about that time too. The inscriptions at Medineh-Habu have images portraying a coalition of the so-called Sea Peoples, with the Peleset being among them, who are said in the accompanying text to have been defeated by Ramses III during his Year 8 campaign. More on that in a minute. In about 1175 BC, Egypt was threatened with a massive land and sea invasion by these sea peoples, a coalition of foreign enemies which included the Jekur, the shekelash the Dayan, the Wishish, the Torash, and the Shurdin. They were eventually defeated by Ramses III, with a battle being fought at Jahi, likely on the eastern Mediterranean coast. Another battle was fought in the Nile Delta. I covered these several episodes ago in Chapter 6, Episodes 20-22. It was the account of these battles that were recorded in a series of inscriptions at his mortuary temple. Researchers have been unable to conclusively determine which of these images matched the different peoples described in the reliefs of the two major battle scenes. A separate relief on one of the bases of the Osirid pillars with an accompanying hieroglyphic text clearly identified the person depicted as a captive Peliset chief with the image being of a bearded man without headdress. This has led to the interpretation that Ramses III defeated the Sea Peoples, including Philistines, and settled their captives and fortresses in southern Canaan. More on that in a minute, too. Another related theory suggests that the Philistines invaded and settled the coastal plain for themselves. In these images, the soldiers were quite tall and clean-shaven. Goliath, anyone? They wore breastplates and short kilts, and their superior weapons included chariots drawn by two horses. They carried small shields and fought with straight swords and spears. Iron and bronze weapons? Spears like Weaver beams? Who knows? Based on these inscriptions, researchers have suggested that the Kasluhite Philistines were at least part of the Sea Peoples who repeatedly attacked Egypt during the later 19th dynasty, though they were eventually driven away by Ramses III, with that pharaoh allegedly resettling them to the coast of Canaan. There's also a papyrus that details the achievements of the reign of this Ramses. Among the brief description of the outcome of the battles in his eighth year is a description of the fate of some of the conjectured Sea Peoples. Ramses claims that the captured prisoners were brought to Egypt, where he forcibly, in quoting, "...settled them in strongholds, bound in my name. Numerous were their classes, hundreds of thousands strong, I text them all in clothing and grain from the storehouses and granaries each year. Some researchers have suggested that these strongholds were fortified towns in southern Canaan, cities that would eventually become the five cities of the Philistines, the Pentapolis. though there is no direct proof of this, and it remains largely speculative. There is a slightly alternate theory, really more of a tailored one, that there may have been a period of 25 to 50 years between the initial sacking of these cities and their reoccupation by the Philistines. It would have been quite possible that during that initial period of time, the Philistines lived in Egypt and Ramses began to lose power. They were then allowed to settle in Philistia. There is another Egyptian recording of the Philistines dating to sometime between the turn of the 12th to the 11th century BC, but this one really doesn't add any additional information. In Assyrian records, they were called, possibly, up to three different names, the Palastu, the Philisti, and the Philistu. Lewin text and the Lewins were from Anatolia. Their text uncovered mention a place known as Palestina, though it's described as being in the Amic Valley, which is on the coast, but a bit north of where the Philistines of the Old Testament settled. Does this mean they were not one and the same? Not really. It could have simply been a northern city that was at some point in their control. Do note, though, that no inscriptions made by the Philistines have been conclusively identified. Of course, Part of the reason I'm covering them now is their role in the transition from the Bronze to the Iron Age, with the Bronze Age collapse in the middle of that. The general thinking is that they migrated from elsewhere, the legendary Sea Peoples. There is a passing reference to this migration in the Old Testament, in both the Table of Nations and Deuteronomy. The Septuagint also connects the Philistines to other biblical groups such as the Kaphtorema, the Chorithites, and the Polithites, which have been associated with the island of Crete. All of this has led to the modern theory of the Philistines having an Aegean origin, but without proof, at least until very recently. You'll have to bear with me, as this does get a little genetically technical. In 2016, a large Philistine cemetery was discovered near Ashkelon, on the coast of the modern country of Israel. The cemetery contained the remains of over 150 people, mostly buried in oval-shaped graves. A few years later, in 2019, a genetic study found three separate populations. All three of these derived most of their ancestry from the local Levitine gene pool. The earlier Iron Age population was genetically distinct due to a European-related heritage. Over time, that distinction became less visible in the uncovered dead from the cemetery. The researchers proposed that this was likely due to interrelationships between the original, European immigrants, and the local population. All of this during the transition from the Bronze to Iron Age and seeming to at least support the theory of a migration event. I'll have more on this genetic connection in the next episode. But before I go, just note that when you combine this genetic evidence with the Old Testament and Egyptian inscriptions, you begin to triangulate. And that provides me with a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week, when I'll continue working through the history of the Philistines, you don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent in the comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.